0: Welcome to the Citica Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China produced in partnership with Sub China. China is a great way to stay on top of the latest from China in just a few minutes a day with a free email newsletter, artisanally curated and handcrafted by the one and only Jeremy Goldcorn. I can say artisanal and handcrafted because he now sports an increasingly hipsterish beard. <laughs> You do or you can no. check out? Yeah,
2: well. no. I, this is a hobo bit. I'm sorry, I haven't painted <laughs> it, it all. It's,
0: okay. <laughs> anyway, sub China, blah blah blah. Feast of business, political and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. And doing so maybe not so very artisanally, huh? <laughs> I am Kaiser Gua. I am in Midtown East in Manhattan today, stopping through New York on my way to Beijing and to Dalian. Joining me here is Sup China Editor-in-Chief Jeremy Goldcorn, who you already know is, I have to tell you, I mean, he wanted to do this show in Williamsburg so he'd go get his hipster mustache waxed <laughs> after the show. <laughs> Anyway, great to see you, Jeremy. Thank
2: you. I don't know if it's so great to see you, but <laughs>
0: I'm yeah, looking forward to the show. I no <laughs> longer have facial hair. So, yeah. right? I, I, I shorn, I've, I've shorn mine off. Anyway, at the start of the show, I want to state very plainly and for the record that I am in no way related that I'm aware of to Guo Engui, the uh, subject of today's podcast in spite of my surname being Guo also. He, Guo Engui is of course the billionaire now on the lamb, living a mere 13 blocks from here if I'm counting right uh, over in the Sherry Netherland on 5th Avenue overlooking Central Park. The man is a real piece of work. His um, whole meteoric rise at least as recounted by our friends over at Caixin is proof that in the China of the reform era even someone from a very modest background in educational attainment, can amass tremendous wealth so long as they are not encumbered by morals. His uh, dirt-dishing tweet storms, his total decentering of the truth, and his bold or maybe shameless publicity stunts have made it hard not to pay attention, sort of Now it is with another certain property developer who also sits at the intersection of money and political power, and is also often found at (laughs) (laughs) Mar-a-Lago.
2: So, whenever you find yourself at the intersection of Chinese money and Chinese political power, one person you're very likely to see standing there with a reporter's notebook in hand is Mike Forsyth. Mike is a reporter for the New York Times, which he joined after exposing Bloomberg's Big China Compromise. When Bloomberg tried to kill a story, he had been working on relating to uh, money and power in the very highest echelons of Chinese politics. Mike now lives here in New York, and he recently co-authored a fascinating story about Gui. Welcome to Seneca, Mike.
3: Good to be here.
0: And uh, Mike, yeah, great, great to have you here, finally. It's been way too long. We haven't had you on the show. I can't believe it. Uh, Mike's co-author on that piece is also our guest today on Seneca, Alexandra Stevenson. Alex uh, writes on money and banking for the New York Times. Uh, She wrote previously for the Financial Times and has uh, studied Chinese in the city of Dalian. She's headed back to Asia pretty soon to take up a post for the New York Times in Hong Kong. Alex, welcome to Seneca.
1: Nice to be here.
2: So let's start out with some basic background for our listeners, because if you haven't been following the story of Go and Gui, it's very long and confusing. Would it be possible for either of you to give us the, the pot? Biography: The one-minute version of Guo Who is he, and what is he doing now that
3: is putting him in the news? Um, no, that would not be possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's impossible because his his life is so complicated, and there's so many competing versions of it. We don't even know when he was born. He says one thing, uh, his ID card says another thing. He says he was born in 1970, which almost is hard to believe because that puts some of the most, you know, formative parts of his life. He was doing things when he was, you know, getting married when he was 14 or 15, um, taking part in Tiananmen when he was 19, which isn't unusual, but it was what he was doing, which was passing out money, he says, to Tiananmen demonstrators uh, at that age of 19, which is unusual.
0: Maybe he married at 14 in the money.
3: <laughs> Maybe he did. Um, you know, we haven't seen his wife. His wife is apparently here. That also adds to the mystery too. You know, there's, there's a lot of illusion about this guy, but anyway, um, he was jailed in 1989. He says it's because of his support for the students. Um, there's some, uh, records that have been uh, broadcast in the overseas media that suggest it was for fraud. He was doing a, a, an oil scam where he was selling the same amount of oil many, many times over and over again. Uh, so it's um there's so much about his life that that is that is you know a mystery but we do know that he rose from yes indeed some sort of obscurity uh he's uh his his uh Hometown is is, uh, in western Shandong province, so eastern China, kind of near the border with Henan. He grew up, though, in northeastern China, in Jilin, hence his kind of northern accent that he has, rather than not an unintelligible Henan western Shandong accent. (laughs)
0: Um, You're talking to a son of western Shandong in
3: Henan. Yeah, well, we all know how hard it is to understand. How inarticulate (laughs) they are. Yeah, (laughs) and... um, and, but, but as a young man, he was jailed after he was out of jail, uh, in, which was in Henan. He did, uh, run into some, uh, you know, made some contacts with some business people, he says, and that got him into the property business. And by the tender age, by his count of 21 or 22, he was already developing a massive luxury hotel in Zhengzhou, the, the capital of Henan.
1: None and- of this
0: seems remotely plausible to me. What about the story that he has about, about him and his brother having attacked a a cop or something like that and then his brother having been killed? Is that part of his myth to of, of his legend as well Alex? do you know yeah, like
1: I mean that's uh. So everything about Guolongwe requires a certain amount of suspension of disbelief and, and he only <laughs> talks about the things that he that suit his sort of origin story and where he's going and so the story about being in jail is sort of in his telling that is the foundational to why he's doing what he's doing today which is to kind of bring transparency and democracy in of some form to China and so for him it was formative because it taught him to kind of you know brace himself against authority (laughs) so so but i was just going to say i mean because we started out with where he what his background is but but we should also say today he's in new york city on the 18th floor of a luxurious the sherry netherland hotel he has this 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 great setup and he has these sweeping views of central park Yeah.
3: For a long time. Oh, wow.
1: Twice. Um, and, and from his apartment, he's firing off these tweets and he's live streaming these sessions on YouTube where he's basically, you know, leveling serious Series accusations, accusations yeah. against Wang Qishan and other senior officials and also, uh, corporate officials. So, I, so there's sort of this trajectory from, I guess you could start, he likes to start with the jail to today, to what he's doing today, but.
2: And we skipped the middle. So yeah. we, we, we were last with him in Zhengzhou, Henan. He's made a million bucks of real estate, luxury hotel. And then how does he get to Beijing? How does he get the Pangu building, the ugliest building in Beijing next to the Olympic field? How does he get in trouble and end up in New York? Right.
3: So he did start making real political connections when he was in Henan. Um, that's pretty clear. He he says himself that he, he got a chance to meet Li Keqiang, the, the current prime minister or premier, who when he was a party secretary down there in Henan, he also befriended uh, Wu Yi, who was uh, the Iron Lady. The Iron Lady. There was somebody in in Washington that said she was stronger than a garlic milkshake. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, you know, he had you know made sure that his her favorite chef was at this hotel, the, the Yueta Hotel in uh, in Henan uh, when she was visiting, and that greatly pleased her. Uh, so there was a relationship that, that was started there, uh, you know, a political relationship. He then, from what we understand, he did get to start meeting some people in the security, you know, apparatus. Wu Guanzheng and then uh, you Ma know, Jian, the Ma right? Jian yeah. then came on uh, after him. And he moved from Henan to Beijing. And from there, uh, started developing his properties. Getting the Pangu was... Pretty bare knuckles, because yeah, I he mean, wasn't bare yeah. knuckles.
0: Is 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 right? I mean, the way at least that it was told by Cai Xin, which we should disclose as our partner in in, in one venture there. But uh, Cai Xin did a big story on him. It was sort of the first big one to break, at least in in more or less mainstream media about him in 2015, and it really recounts a lot of uh, you know backstabbing and betrayal and and just faced blackmail, right? How much of this have you been able to corroborate?
3: So certainly when you talk to Guo himself and what he's been saying uh, in his lengthy interviews that he's had just in the last few months, he actually corroborates a lot of it. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, he makes no bones about it that his political patron is, is Ma Jian. Uh, who is the vice minister of state security or was uh, he's he's in jail now and uh, and he makes it very clear also that uh, he did procure this uh, sex tape uh, for this vice mayor of Beijing who right. is standing in his way uh, from uh, securing this pro- amazing property track a vast tract of land you know <laughs> uh, uh next to the Beijing yeah that uh, was uh, the first of many, if you don't mind. Um, and so, um, and, and so he, you know, th- those things are, are pretty straightforward. Uh, part of the record, and so got Tsai Shin was the first, really to to really nail that down. Uh, and
2: uh, I mean, his troubles with official China seem to more or less coincide with the Tsai Xin article in twenty fifteen. Is that Chen's
3: fall, right? Hmm. Yeah, I think this is where the limitations of Tsai Xin come in. Okay, Tsai Xin is great, but they can only go so far. So why did he all of a sudden run into trouble? And the way Guo explains it, and he, he said this in his March 8th interview with uh, Mirror Mingjing here in New York, he explained that the reason he did is he, he may have, he like Icarus, he got a little too close to the sun. And the sun in this case was uh, the, the actual son of He Guochang, the, the predecessor to Wang right. Jishan um, as head of Discipline Inspection Commission. And he was saying, Guo was saying that it was the son of He Guochang who was actually the big owner in founder securities, which he was trying to to take to over take and over, muscle right. into. None of that was in the Xin article. It actually is true, um, and we doc we had a document. We had looked after this shan article. The he
0: Wu-Chang's son was the major stakeholder. The, in- the
3: family, the family certainly had a stake okay. in Founder Securities, uh, indirect and and actually Guo kind of spelled that out. We actually had all the records on that at the time because after this shan article, we actually started looking, you know, into this, and uh, we never published anything, but we had it all right. And so when he brought it up again this year just kind of looked at our notes and were like well gosh he's he's actually right and and i think it's um doesn't it's not a huge leap of logic to think that you know when you're going up against you know a senior retired cadre like that a very very senior uh, guy that that could very well have been goa's downfall
0: so so far obscure origins but otherwise i don't hear a, a whole ton of untruths is there is it all wheat here or is there chaff that we have to deal with as well
3: I think there's a lot of untruths. Let me count the ways. Okay. Um, <laughs> <Let's do it. laughs> no, I, I mean, I think uh, he's very quick to kind of spin tales mm-hmm. that later don't look to be that true. And uh, I can't get in, I, I wish I could get into real specifics. But in one instance, we asked about a person that's associated with the big HNA family, the Wang Qishan family, and he spun us one tale. And that tale does not look to be true at all. In another instance, um, he was on a podcast and was explaining in no uncertain terms that uh, Hu Shuli, the editor of Taishin, had given me, back in 2012, all the documents for the Xi Jinping— Given you, Mike given Forsyth. Given me, yeah. Mike Forsyth, all the documents for the Xi Jinping expose we did at Bloomberg, which I knew and Hu Shuli knew was not true because well, right. I wrote this, you know, doing the story. So He, um, he
2: said a lot of nasty things about Hu Shuli. Li. Hmm. Yes, they have a huge feud going on. And
3: then and here's another thing, you know, just kind of the general I've, I've always been struck by how so many people in the overseas Chinese media, so many people really get quite enamored of him. He's kind of like the Pied Piper. Right. But again, he did. He did send a sex tape out with the Beijing vice mayor in order to get some property. But he also published the ID number and the full name of a minor, a 12, 13 year old boy who he claimed was the love child of Hu Shui and his former business partner, uh, who was at at you know Founder Group. This is some pretty bare knuckle, tough stuff. And uh, I, those things are always floating in my head when I hear these, you know, overseas Chinese people waxing poetic about how this guy is going to change China and bring democracy to China. What does it
0: say that anyone gives him any credibility at all here in the overseas Chinese community?
2: Oh come on! I find that completely
0: understandable.
2: He, he he's one of the few people who knows things who's bad mouthing the Communist Party. That's very attractive no, to a lot I, of what people. What I'm trying
0: to get at is, I mean, is is it just decade on decade of just of um, opacity and lies that have just sort of inured people to this? I mean, who, who are ready to believe anything now? Do You think that's sort of what's going on here?
3: I think he says what they want to hear.
0: Uh.
2: What about what he's saying about Wang Qishan's family? Because he's made, I mean, basically, as far as I understand it, he ha- he says that Wang Qishan's wife, Yao Ming-Shan, is a U.S. citizen. He posted what he says is her social security number to the Internet. And what he says is the address of the house she owns in a very lovely town that I've actually stayed in called Saratoga in Northern California. Is is this just complete nonsense or, you know, what's you, your take on Have you on run it? that down?
3: It's… Um, it's old wine in a new bottle, you know. I mean, I think the me, the overseas Chinese media, we've known about this house since 2012. And if you look at the property records, uh, it certainly indicates that at one point or another, Yao Ming Shan was at the house, which is owned by, it looks to be owned by her, his, her sister and her sister's husband. Um, it's a nice place, over five, worth more than $5 million in Saratoga. But of course... Every house in Saratoga is worth more than a million dollars. And she does look to have a social security number. But again, that's not, you know, a lot of Chinese people in the United States have social security numbers. The passport... We have absolutely no evidence, um, and the people I've talked to, you know, recently, very recently, were, would be. They all said it would be very surprising if Wang Qishan allowed or had knowledge of her his his wife getting a U.S. passport at a time when his career was taking off. It just didn't make a lot of sense. So we have absolutely no evidence that uh, Yang Shan is a U.S. citizen. It's not. A crime for her at all to have a U.S. social security number either. No, you get
0: one with a green card, right?
3: Yeah, you know, you don't I, even I, need a green card to get a social right. security number. And it, it's really easy to get one. She d- it does look like the property records that are which, which in America are pretty good do suggest that she did spend some time in the United States in the nineties and and into the last decade though.
2: But there's not nothing like a smoking gun evidence of massive corruption. We know that the wife of a well-connected senior politician spent some time in America, which is not really that. Surprising.
1: They're dots that still need to be connected. But to go back to your question about why do people want to believe it, I guess one way to answer that here would be you know, he's basically claiming that HA, this huge Internet conglomerate Internet. that has been scooping up left, right, and center American assets, European assets, banks hedge funds, you name it. He's basically claiming that Wang Shan's family owns or Wang Shan through family members owns a significant stake in the company. And I think for um, Americans, at least, because it's become a headline, H&A has become a headline company that came out of the blue suddenly last year, um, and then really was in the sort of spotlight uh, right during the inauguration because one of Trump's advisors owned a hedge fund and he was trying to get rid of it well, sell it so that he could join the administration. And suddenly H&A popped out of the wings, like just perfect timing. And so I think a lot of people started raising questions. And in Washington, there were questions raised about what was this company and why was it trying to seek influence? And I, so, you know. A lot of things get mixed up, but people become interested when you put China and mysterious, um, but acquisitive company. Sure. And so and I bombed. think, and then suddenly he's like firing these allegations about Wang Qishan, who is China's anti-corruptions are. And so, you know, I think that's like a perfect storm for this kind of like intrigue that's uh, really Alex,
0: explain the timing of the allegations. Mm. Why did he start when he started? I mean, he, he had this material for a long time. He'd been in the States for months.
1: Yeah, that's before. a good question. We, we asked him that because, You know, this is according to Guo. He's been preparing for this moment for 28 years. So when we asked him why, I don't. I mean, what was his answer? It was kind of.
3: He talked a little bit about like Abu Dhabi and Meng Jianzhu. You know, the security minister. You know, so. (laughs) But but but
1: none of it really made sense.
3: And he also talked about this like fortune teller. I think said it was like it, it was a very auspicious year to. Tweet or, you know, to, it was a, a special year to bring up big things. Um,
1: but there's also the timing of Xiao Jianhua.
3: So, yeah, I, I mean, when we asked him this, one of the things, you know, that may have prompted him because he had come to the United States in late 2014 and he had been totally quiet. We hadn't heard anything from him. And then all of a sudden, I think it was on January 26th, he did this interview with uh, Mirror Media, which is based here in Long Island. um uh, in Chinese, which, you know, he just came just exploded out on the scene. And then just a, it,
2: I had before that it correct me if I'm wrong, w- wasn't
3: there some suspicion that he was in fact detained in China? People didn't know where, where he was. There are always so, you know, there's so much, you know, we had, we had heard that he was in the United States and I, I didn't know if he had been, you know, any of the stories that he had been taken back, uh, you know, to, to China or anything. But uh, so why did he all of a sudden, you know, become vocal? Um, and one thing he did say is that there was more and more pressure on him that uh, Meng Jianzhu, who is the, you know, the, the head or of... yeah PSV chief. Yeah, right? the, yeah, the law, law and politics guy in the Politburo had actually gone to Abu Dhabi and... And, you know, was pressuring the uh, government there to uh, put pressure on Guo or get Guo back uh, to China. Uh, he is a citizen of Abu Dhabi. In fact, he looks pretty good in, a, in an Arab headdress <laughs> in, in a beard. He looks uh, almost passable. And It's uh, one of
1: the 13 passports he says he has.
3: Yes, yes. He has lots of passports. Wow. Um, you know, an international man of mystery. So that's one of the reasons. Um, that the timing with Xiao Jianhua was fascinating though because it was really only a few hours later and I was there in Hong Kong at the time that Xiao was uh a, looked like he was abducted he was taken from the Four Seasons and smuggled across uh, you know the border into just, I mean, China into, right. a-
2: another billionaire Chinese tycoon that's for right. our listeners He may not have been following
3: that's right yes and uh, and so it, it is interesting the timing and also I mean I obviously you know, it's the run-up to the big 19th Party Congress of the Communist Party later this year. And it is the silly season for politics, you know, in China now. Things things happen in these years.
2: Can we talk a little bit about two figures, uh, powerful or once powerful figures, who are often mentioned as being closely connected with Gore? And, of course, I'm speaking about Ma Jian, who was the v- vice minister for state security, and also Zhang Yue, who was a Hebei uh, provincial, provincial can you tell us a bit more about them and Guo's ties
0: to them? And, you know, how he made use of them or right. uh, seems to have made so, use of
3: them. So, yeah, I haven't really looked much at Zhang Yue. And, uh, and he doesn't talk about Zhang Yue. He talks about Ma all the time. And he always speaks about Ma in terms of reverence and respect, uh, which is pretty rare for him because I think most of the politicians in China, he's uh, he does have a considerable amount of disdain for. But uh, Ma, he always t- treats with respect. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Alex and I were, were talking to one person you know, who's kind of describing that relationship in great detail too yeah
1: he was saying that what like five six or more years ago when he saw him in beijing he was constantly taking phone calls from ma jian or at least that's what he would say right. so <laughs> that was uh yeah i mean that was a long time ago but
3: and, and ma himself he had a confession There was a. Uh, Uh, a video release and and Ma in the confession and obviously this is a Chinese confession it did look like he was reading it Um, so you know you do have to take it with a, a big grain of salt but he you know Ma recounted many instances where uh, you know, he would get financial benefits from Guo, and then Ma would intervene in the bureaucracy for one land deal or another deal, you know, on, on, on Guo's. People.
0: Just basically wholesale appropriating land and, and giving it to, handing it over to Guo, or something yeah, like that, or yeah. clearing the way for him in, in some way or another. Yeah. There, there was another guy, um, Meng Huiqing, uh, who was actually a CCDI official, right? Uh, so he's from the Central Committee for Discipline Inspection official, who was brought down, I think it was two years ago, uh, but the the verdict was just released recently. I think, probably, optimistically by by the Beijing Second Intermediate Court. And uh, these these records sort of seem to show the modus operandi of, of our friend Guo. I guess I guess I'm you know it's it's pretty clear that this guy. I mean, to anyone who looks closely at this, that this guy is every bit as corrupt and every bit as as sinister as some of the people he's now pointing his fingers at. I guess I am trying to get my head around why he has so much popular support. I still I don't quite I mean is is he just he, he seems is every bit as unsavory as the worst allegations he's making about about the political figures he wants
3: to take down. I think that's too simple. Yeah. I mean I mean I mean don't you? I mean cuz he's kind of a charming guy yeah? actually.
1: Yeah, well, he, he comes know. across as a hero figure, right? I mean, people don't have to have long, me- like, you can, most people have short memories. And, um, I think he's emerged as, you know, at a time when there is a lot of political intrigue at a, at an important, in an important year for China. And, um, I think he just, you know, people, Maybe he's—it's just like popular entertainment.
2: He is very charismatic. I yeah. mean, he—he he reminds me in many ways of Donald Trump, uh, but uh, he has a different kind of charisma. I mean, I found myself now watching or even just listening to his Ming Jing interviews just because I like the sound of his voice.
0: <laughs> really? You don't find him to be extremely too.
2: Well, I mean, he's of a certain kind. He reminds me of the the, the uh, online celebrity, you know, Papi Zhang has this great uh, imitation of a Chinese film director, or you know, a rich guy who wants to make movies, right. telling her you know, know, the scriptwriter. Yeah, it's very one. funny. He kind of yeah. reminds me of that kind of personality: outsized, rich Chinese businessman.
1: I mean, he but, is. A, we've talked about this. He's a P.T. Barnum, and you sort of feel like you're in a show with him when you're sitting down talking to him, like that you're part of this bigger kind of theatrical event. Do, do you feel that way? I, feel I, that I way. totally do. And,
3: and I mean, I mean, maybe we shouldn't talk about this here. But you know, no, whatever. No, please this, is, do. this is the decade of self confessions and putting everything on Facebook, that's all your personal life. So why not? I mean, he really wants reporters to be in on this with him. You know, this is this big mission to, you know, first, the mission was to get rid of Wang Qishan and Meng Jianzhu right. and and Fu Zhenghua. So 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 this is Fu Zhenghua would be the vice minister of public security. Who um, you know he's clashed with is kind of his his real you know immediate uh, foe. Um, and then Wang Qishan and, and Meng Jianzhu. And that was his when we first met him in late April at his apartment. That was his goal to do that. But now having had lunch with him this week, he's kind of up the ante now. And I think now he I, is it fair to say, Alex, that he. Really wants to overthrow, you know, the system. Um, that's what he says, at least.
1: Yeah, he speaks in grander terms now, um, and maybe that's because it's fueled by the tension that he's getting. I mean, he did talk about, you know, X number of Twitter followers and uh, you know, Y number of viewers on my last YouTube live stream. You know, so and-
2: very Trumpish.
0: You know yeah, mean? no, that's what I'm thinking. Possibly
2: Donald well, Trump wasn't serious about right? being I'm, president you- either,
3: right? And then <laughs> right. he realized. Um, yeah, is it? Trumpish, but he's actually much more charming. Um, he's, he's much more, it's, it's a little less egocentric than Trump in the fact that he's trying to praise you all the time and, and lift you up, not, not lift you up, but at least say exaggeratingly nice things about you as well. Uh, it's a little different from Trump. I Would would I rather have a beer with him or Trump? I'd rather have a beer with him. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've, well, Trump wouldn't have a beer drink anyway. And, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and he doesn't drink. Yeah, Trump, yeah. so.
1: But but by our second meeting with him, he was talking about, like, you know, are you, are you guys on the same page as me? Are we going to work towards greater China-U.S. cooperation? And it got a little weird because we were sort of like, well, we're just journalists. I mean, we're just here to, like, you know, hear what you have to say. We're not here to, like, commit to some grand commitment. And so... It seems as though I guess he's been gradually working up to this point, but it's like he's playing the sort of diplomat as well in some strange kind of way.:
0: What's your sense of how well he understands the way it works in the West here in the United States? I mean this kind of thing, the, the idea that he thinks he can enlist in his cause to independent New York Times journalists uh, that that seems to me to be deeply deluded.
1: Well, the thing is he didn't reach out to us initially, okay you reached out to him on yeah. twitter sure
0: but but this idea that during your lunches with him that you know he thinks that he's you know you're going to be on the same page you're going to work together for his grand vision i mean that what's does this guy have any sense for for how politics works in america
3: um strangely i think he has more of a sense than most people do okay. um so first of all you know he has accomplished his goal of drawing a lot of attention to Wang Qishan. And so he has changed the agenda of some journalists, you know, who are now focused on looking at, you know, at at this family and, you know, trying to figure out if what Wang Qishan or what, what Guo Wengui is saying is true or not. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating what he's saying. There's some nuggets that he says that some things he says are, they have the ring of truth. What well, 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 can you tell us about any, any connections with HNA? Um, I can't, um, you know, but it's it's just really interesting. And there's a lot of – there are some things – Enough he, to keep you
0: interested and keep there's
3: enough in. There's enough there to keep us really interested. There's other things that he puts out that are clearly wrong or exaggerated, kind of like this thing with uh, Yao Ming Shan just isn't panning out. A couple of weeks ago, he put out a, – a, one of his first files that he put out was uh, on this guy uh, Yao Qing. Uh, who is supposed to be? is, is the, There is a Yao Qing who is a grandson of Yao Yilin, so the, a uh. nephew in law of, of Wang Qishan. Uh, but the Yao Qing file he put up was clearly not the right Yao Qing. It was a totally different guy. So some of the stuff he puts out is just not quite right. But other things he puts out, and I don't know how right he knows it is, uh, is interesting. And so it's enough to keep us interested, definitely. So he's succeeding. In in that way. the same.
2: Yeah. What about uh, the... Is there any dirt sticking to Wang Qishan back in Beijing? And do you think that Gore is, in fact, going to make actually any serious problems for the Communist Party, for the 19th Party Congress this fall?
1: I mean, they're dots. They haven't been connected yet. We don't have... Which is... Yeah. But they're dots Uh, uh, that need to be connected. I
2: mean, are people in Beijing
3: people of consequence in Beijing looking at these dots and thinking that they want to connect them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not there anymore. Um, Certainly I'm hearing that he's, you know, there's a lot more attention on him, but I'm hearing both versions. You know, one version is like the stuff he's saying isn't so consequential. You know, in order for Wang Qishan to get onto the Politburo, he had to give a full report about his family. This back in 2007. Some of this theoretically is already part of the record the party record and and is not going to be shocking to other leaders if the fact that his wife was overseas you know or things like that but on the other hand it it does seem like a lot of people are talking about it you know talking to my colleagues that are in china i just you know making predictions about american politics is hard enough and boy a lot of us have gotten that wrong making predictions about chinese politics and god it Mugs is so game. difficult but mm-hmm. it is fascinating because it does look like wang Shan, you know there was an assumption until only a few months ago i think that uh, he was going to be elevated he was going to gonna be leadership. elevated he was going to allow to be stayed on you know past in, in, the
0: unofficial retirement that's right. right
3: so they have the Ba basha and he was Ba and almost jew mm-hmm. and uh you know he was he's he was going to go uh, he was going to be able to stay on but I don't think you're hearing that as much anymore.
1: But also one of our colleagues um, said that the sort of entrepreneur and business community in China have expressed concern about the focus on Wang Qishan. And, you know, there's a little bit of confusion on Wall Street with with some of the big firms that do business in China, because Wang Qishan has always been their guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like kind of the, the bridge to China. Hank Paulson calls him a buddy, Tim Geithner, um, his, what did he call? Uncle. Uncle. He referred to <laughs> Wang Qishan as uncle. And so it's interesting because there's, there's been reverberations and they're small right now, but both in, in China from what we hear in the business community, but also a little bit on Wall Street um, in terms of, in, in, in the way of confusion, so.
0: Let's, let's talk about how Beijing has tried to manage this crisis from the time that it broke out in January. What, what have they done and how has their strategy apparently shifted?
3: That's also really confusing. And it, it does kind of lend credence to the fact that he may have some support there. Clearly, before his his breakout interviews in January, th- it does look like there was an effort to get him back at some point. But in April, after he had already been talking for a few months, uh, you know, it did look like they unleashed some of the domestic media to do investigative stories at him or had pre-made investigative stories or stories come out about him. But that... Stopped all of a sudden in late April. Mm. You got nothing except. F- about three weeks later, you started getting some more stuff from Taishin, just that one that one news organization, which has a lot looser leash, you know, than, than most news organizations in China.
0: And also, they say some ties to Wang Xishan. Uh,
3: they do, and then um, he has said that his uh, wife and his daughter. Um, he has two children that we know of, uh, a son who in his, this is Miles Kwok is his Western name and his son is Mileson. Uh, <laughs> so, um, kind of like Offred, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, so uh, Mileson M- M- yeah, was, Mileson M- <laughs> M- 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 was already like outside of, uh, the mainland China, but his daughter, uh, who went to NYU, um, actually with Ma Jian's daughter, he says, uh, at the same time. Uh, so they, um she was in china uh his wife was in china as well and he says they were allowed to leave we have not seen them but uh, we do have it on assurances uh that she is they are here and that's kind of odd i think that they were allowed to leave china and there was another incident that we wrote about kind of you know the phone call um <laughs> which was kind of interesting
0: well, this in on um, this phone call what, what's what's the phone call
1: well it was a little weird um and i should just say cuz it it gets a little complicated talking about none of having, this has been complicated so having, far having <laughs> having having met with him because you know and and you asked earlier about who's leading who in in these interactions and are we kind of being brought into his uh sort of part of his spin and the thing is that we showed up and it wasn't supposed to be an interview um and it wasn't supposed to be on the record and so you know mike and i throughout the first six hour interaction we're we're, you know trying to figure out like and afterwards how how do we use some of this and how do we get it on the record and that was a tortured process but 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 so i'm gonna i guess we can kind of recount because we, we, we did a how bit, how we wrote yeah. it in the yeah and and so it was really bizarre because you know it's like 5 hours into this interaction with this guy who is larger than life and and it's it's dark out at this point. We, we showed up for tea and stayed till after dinner. And, um, he's taking us outside to show us, uh, the, the sweeping of the view park. of, uh, Central Park. And his, his assistant comes out and she, you know, she, she, she whispers something into his ear and then, and then points to the phone and, and he looks at us and he goes, Oh, well, somebody important has called. And he mentions a name, which turns out not to be true. Um, which we didn't write about, but he, he's basically insinuating that like somebody, you know, at, high uh, is calling and then and then he dials the number and he looks at us and he kind of says Well, this is so-and-so and he puts it on speaker So we can so we can hear the conversation and hear the other person on the other side of the line as if that would confirm who this Person is to us. Although <laughs> you don't no know idea. what the, sound what like the voice is what the voice sounds right, right, right. like right and then he walks off into another room and he's Starts screaming and there's a shouting match going on and mike and i are talking to um his assistant and trying to figure out like who is this person and then later it emerges that it's a it's an aide to uh xi jinping
3: that's what he says that's what he says that's what that's what he says that's okay. what emerges from yvette we got a name we can't say it okay um, so this
1: emerges from yvette his assistant and and so we're going well wait but on the first he told us it was this other person and now you're telling us it's a special assistant. And 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 the whole thing, we it sort of felt like it was the purpose of it was to give this sense that, you know, he actually is talking directly to, you know, the It was theater leadership. for the
3: New York Times. It, it, was, it seemed it that way. That it felt <laughs> I <mean, her> <laughs> that way. It us. sounds so staged. We could be very cynical, though, right? You know? <laughs>
1: I mean, wow. it's the whole. Anyway, so. <laughs> but again, this is this whole, like, you're sitting there and you're like, is this real? Isn't this real? What am, What is going on here? You know, like, how do we understand this?
2: <laughs> so he has another thing. Is it real or isn't it real? When he was in D.C., I think he t- tweeted from the Trump International Tower in Washington, claiming to have met with a couple of guys from the Public Security Bureau, a dissident minder from Gobao and another guy. And that apparently these guys, or he says, these guys were then. Picked up by the FBI and sent back to China. Did you try to run that
0: one
3: done? We're trying, actually. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it. He, so there was this guy he was going to meet. He said, "You know, Sun Li Jun, who is, a... I think he's uh, in the PSB, and he's head of the Guo Bao. Uh, So he's, his he's a you know the guy in charge of looking after people like Guo and um, and." But we don't have any independent confirmation that they met. We don't have any independent confirmation that Sun Jun was in the United States. But, you know, he certainly was tweeting pictures from Trump International, you know, or in. in, Circumstantial, yeah.
0: What about justice? Did they they say anything about having removed two. Chinese nationals.
3: Yeah, you know, we're we're, still reporting. It's that. it's messy right now, and we're just trying to get our facts straight on that. Uh, and uh, but I I wouldn't put that in the same category as things totally unbelievable. Hmm. Um, and and certainly, um, you know, the reason you know about this is because you were reading about it maybe in Jing and some other publications that have have written about it. Um, so uh, he wants seem you to, to, to believe
0: down. that he has a back channel though to Xi Jinping. Either through this this PSV connection, through this phone call that he supposedly took, it's he's conspicuously omitted direct attacks against she. That's right. What's going on there? Do you have a theory? Do you have a working theory, Alex?
1: Um, no, but Victor sure actually has a an interesting theory.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, he was.
1: <laughs> I mean,
3: <sighs> Victor's my friend. Victor's a good guy. I mean, he certainly <laughs> into I it's mean, it's an I, intriguing theory. Yeah,
0: let's hear it. Let's hear it.
3: Oh, well, I mean, with caveated,
0: amply you caveated. Know, I'm just trying to have,
3: remember how much we put, you know, in the story and what we left out and, and everything. But I mean, there, there does seem, you know, I've, I've talked to other people since the publication of our story even that suggests that, you know, that there may be some tension between the two of them um, that, that Wang has acquired an incredible amount of power. And even people who know Wang Qishan very well will say the Wang Qishan of 2017 is not the Wang Chishan of 10 years ago no. or 15 years ago, that he has changed I don't know what that means exactly, but there are enough people saying that there, there may be some tension, but is it so tension? Could you借刀杀人, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah thing. but is it tension enough for, for Xi Jinping to be basically employing Maoist tactics to, to undermine Wang Shan? I don't know. It, it, you know, but certainly he does want us and other people to believe that he did say. In fact, he said it, 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 it with his Voice of America interview in April, which we
0: want. To, I want to talk
3: about in just a yeah, second. Yeah, right? you know, he said in that interview that uh, that she through Fu Zhenghua had had asked him to look into Wang Chi-shan's family. You know, I could go. We could go on for hours and hours. But you know, I do find, and I can't get into great details, that um, for a guy who is supposed to be looked at HNA's shareholding structure, I think there are some. Um, interesting gaps in his knowledge that um, anybody who would have looked at the h for one or two days uh, would have been very familiar with. And I've been kind of surprised at uh, the lack of familiarity sometimes. So he knows some things really well and he knows other things not so well. It's, you know, some things he says are true. Some things he says are patently untrue. He's just it's just so such a mix.
0: So if you had this guy on the shrink's couch and he had to offer a sort of pop diagnosis, what? What is his pathology? What is going on with this guy? I mean, is it just your straight up, you know, megalomania? Is he just a world-class narcissist? Is he nurturing these sort you of know, Count of Monte Cristo revenge fantasies? What's going on with this guy? I mean, psychologically.
1: I think there's an element of narcissism, but um, I just get the distinct feeling that there's something else at play that we're missing. There's a piece that we're not we're not oh, seeing God, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I i i just yeah, but like and and so i can't i can't answer that question right, right. straight up because yeah. i can't i can't get a hold on a read on him properly like, like yeah
3: and we've spent you know i keep track of this i think you know we're on about 15 or 16 hours of just one on one you know the two of us and him and and his and his st- also stronger than a garlic milkshake assistant um <laughs> and, you know and uh <laughs> You don't want to meet her in a dark alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, uh, it's there is something else. I mean, clearly he does have a whole bunch of money in China that's frozen, assets that are frozen now. He's got relatives there and employees there. Um, you know, is this a very high-stakes bargaining? I mean – We've never—I don't—you know—we've never seen a a tweety narcissistic Chinese billionaire before, so it's kind of new territory. And As
2: much as the lot of horrible things being discussed, isn't it great for you, you guys? I mean, isn't this a really fascinating? I mean, how often do you get to, even if you're not sure if it's real or not, but you get a look at some? I'm jealous. Things you can't usually see in China. (laughs) What a ride! I mean, wow.
1: But but just to go back, I mean, just real quick, I, the idea that there's greater things going on in the background, you know, where's he getting these documents and why specific documents? And, you know, because he d- ostensibly doesn't have any access anymore to the, to the mainland unless you believe that he is talking directly to people like Xi Jinping. Um, so, like, you know, when he shows us certain documents and he's shown us for example, the other day, a package that was supposedly one official, one corporate official's entire um, rundown of bank accounts uh, at every single different bank, how many accounts, how much is in the accounts, no account numbers. You're kind of like, well, I mean, where do you get this information from? And why are you giving it to us? Why this person? So, you know, the whole thing is just a big mystery.
2: Oh, God. Let's talk about the VOA interview then. Yes. So th- this was a, uh, a little scandal in some ways. He was uh, going to have a three-hour, I believe it was scheduled to be a three-hour interview with VOA, and it was uh, stopped. Uh, about
0: 73 uh, minutes or something. Yeah, like
2: and one of the editors who was working on it basically said there was pressure from the Chinese foreign ministry. And another person at VOA denied it and said that there was some other issue with the, you know, procedures not being followed and mm-hmm. giving space to a apparently malevolent, um, you know, defamer uh, to, to speak his mind. But do you have any sense of what really went? I think it probably bears mentioning, VOA. too,
0: that, that Mike, uh, you worked for Amanda Bennett, who right. is now the head of the VOA. Yep. And uh, she basically went to bat for you. I mean, not just she. She resigned her position basically in solidarity with you over that whole business uh, after Winkler made his, that telephone call that you, you talked about to the That's, Times.
3: I mean, yeah. I, I, After I, Bloomberg self-censored, let's right. p- so put it that way. If, there's, if I'm biased in this whole incident, it's that I have, I think, the world of Amanda Bennett. Um, you know, she has proven, she was the editor of the Xi Jinping story right. at Bloomberg. She was the one who faced down the ambassador, who was Zhang Yesue at the time in Washington, and told him, we're publishing the story.
0: So why on earth would she have, right?
3: Exactly. So I was watching a VOA interview, and then it got cut off. And as a reporter, you know, we're not supposed to leap to conclusions. But of course, I had visions of Kushner dancing in my head. And uh, I had pictured picture Hankai, the ambassador, giving Kushner a call saying, get that guy off the air, and Kushner calling Amanda Bennett or somebody and saying, get that guy off the air. The truth is much more boring. Um, it, that didn't happen. It looks like at all. Um, in fact, it doesn't look like there wasn't any pressure, what I know of, from the White House. And in fact, they're not allowed to do that. Not you know, Of course, they're not allowed to do a lot of things. But, <laughs> they're not allowed um, to, yeah, to, but, to but tell the FBI director. The that. truth is a little more prosaic, but also quite, I think, a little disturbing. So I wrote about it that day. Um, I talked to both sides. Um, you know, I know the VOA China side people. I've done interviews with them in Chinese before, and they follow what I do. And, um, you know, and so I was able to talk to them and talk to the management at VOA as well. And indeed, there was pressure on VOA. Um, they did what they did to Bloomberg. They called in their um, you know reporter in Beijing to the foreign ministry, said, don't do this. Don't don't air this um, interview because it had been publicized for days before this three hours of 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 Guo and Gui on, on voice of America. Um, It looks like a few days before this thing went to air that the VOA management had said, you know, it's really not a good idea to have this guy on for three hours. He throws out allegation after allegation, having a guy on voice of America, a rather straight news organization, uh, throwing out allegations against the Chinese government is, you know, maybe not what we want to do. Maybe not what we want to do. Um, They, I think they negotiated to have him on for an hour. And then go to tape and, you know, record him, tape him and whatever allegations he makes afterwards, go and fact check him, go and report him out. And the first hour went and indeed he started making allegations. The second hour began and he he upped the volume to 11 uh, with his allegations about Wang Qishan and uh, and, and Xi Jinping asking, you know, um, it. Uh, Fu Zhenghua through Guo Wengui through Fu Zhenghua to investigate Wang Qishan. And then it got cut off right then. And, um, from what I understand, the reason it got cut off is because, um, it over the, the an agreement hour. was right. it was supposed to go an hour. And I think we've been, he- you know, hearing some pretty harsh things from the Chinese service, uh, from the, the reporter there. And she, in fact, put in an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I think, you know, this gets back a little bit to the whole, pied piper element of Guo way i think he says things uh that people want to hear um people do tend to get excited about the fact that there's this guy with real means with real money apparently uh who's now on their side i guess are talking about rule of law democracy in china and and trying to to stick it to the communist party um and they get caught up in that and um and so I think it makes a lot of sense to me, and this is my opinion, but, you know, I've been there before. I've worked with Amanda Bennett. Uh, understanding what VOA was asking seemed to me completely reasonable from a journalistic point of right. view. In fact, it was extremely generous to keep Guo and Gui on the air for uh, a whole hour, for a whole hour. Um, and they did. And so, um, you know, yes, before they did get calls from the Chinese embassy. They got the Foreign Ministry in Beijing on this. There was pressure, but it doesn't look like they buckled to the pressure. Um, it looks like they had made disagreement, and it, it's really ugly. You know, what's, but, what's but going some on of the now. reporters were just not on board with it, and they freaked out. Oh, and some have been suspended, right? <sighs> yeah, they weren't on board. And you know, it's it's it's. it's, it's understand you know, there is an investigation going on, but it's getting gets gets caught up in politics now too. And you know, now. Uh, you know the fact that uh, the Wall Street Journal's been like a, a home for some of these attacks on VOA now—it's uh, it's ugly and uh, you know um, and sad. Sad, yeah. although very sad, because probably none of them will have
2: jobs if President Trump has his way.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> Mike, I need to be mindful of your time. I know that you you need to to roll out of here real soon. Um, very quick last question before we do recommendations very quickly. How does this end? What are some possible scenarios for how this plays out? Uh, Alex, you want to take a shot? I mean, he's not going to be extradited. That's pretty clear, right? There's no, um, no circumstances. He, there. he,
1: he's, he indicates and he seemed and, and we know that in the past he's been in contact with uh, U.S. government officials and he indicates that he still has ties uh here and the most recent story about May 26th, mm-hmm. you know his DC venture adventure um you know he indicates that he was again helped by the government so i think he's going to be okay i think he has enough of an in in some way with the US government but you never know
0: we sort of don't know until november right i mean is this that mike what about you what do you think how does yeah, this i does i this mean play he's out?
3: He's gotten enough publicity now in the United States, two front page stories in The New York Times, for one, um, you know, that he's well known. Um, so but, you know, would that stop the Trump administration from trading him away? You know, and you could make a case that maybe that would make sense to trade him away for something, you know, but what, what's what's the U.S. going to get for him? And so I think this goes on for a while um and I, I don't know where it ends exactly um but uh he's going to be a thorn in the side you know for for a little while here it looks like um is my my guess
0: this really puts into stark relief our limitations i uh, mean the limitations of our knowledge about what happens in behind the scenes in beijing doesn't it jeremy
2: it does indeed i mean if uh, you compare I mean, it just the tiktoks you get about like you know american politics where you Pretty much know the color of the shoes on. Yeah. Um, at a secret meeting. We know nothing.
0: Well, we are really anxious to, to hear more. Uh, I hope that you'll come back and, and join us for further conversations about this story because it, it's going to be really the story of the year in Chinese politics. And uh, thank you so much for for taking the time and and being so candid with us about your reporting and sharing this with our audience. We need to be respectful of Mike's time here, so let me quickly pay some some bills and then uh, we can get to recommendations. Before we get to recommendations, I want to remind our listeners that the Cynical Podcast is powered by SubChina. Check out the app and subscribe to the newsletter at subchina.com. You can follow SubChina on Twitter at at SubChina News and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SubChina News. And if you like the Cynical Podcast, by all means, go and leave us a positive review on the Apple iTunes Store, on Google Play, or over is that you go to review apps this helps us a lot means a whole ton to jeremy and me on to recommendations jeremy why don't you start us off and let's let's try to be kind of quick here
2: all right. The Skeptics, uh, Society, I think it's called. They, they have a website, uh, and they, they, they publish, um, articles that debunk, uh, pseudoscience, uh, debunk the latest diet fad, uh, debunk the, debunk the latest religion. A mili- a billionaire, uh, they <laughs> haven't got to go and gway claims, but it's the kind, of <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing they would uh, anyways, do. Anyways, they have a podcast and email newsletter. Very good. If you like Kaiser and me tend to, be not believe. Tend to be skeptical. <laughs> Alex would be for us?
1: It's completely off topic, oh, but Janesville, like an American story, uh-huh. which is uh, written by Amy Goldstein of the Wall Street, uh, sorry, the Washington Post. Um, and it's about Janesville after GM uh, suddenly picked up and left oh, wow. in 2008, months after Obama had gone to Janesville and said there will be jobs <laughs> at the GM factory for 100 years to come. So it, it's a fascinating kind of look at how the whole um, town, city. Which way did that, s-
3: that, that that county vote in 2016? <laughs> Isn't that Paul Ryan's district? Is it in Paul Ryan's It is.
1: City? But actually, interestingly, Rock County, which is Janesville, Beloit, and a couple of other uh-huh. places, um, voted uh, 51 or 52 percent Democrat. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. One know. of the few counties.
0: So. Now there's this new guy who's going to be challenging. Iron Tash. Iron, Iron Stash. Iron Stash. Iron Tash. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's a very timely book. It's a very excellent recommendation. Love to hear more about it, but Mike, all-
3: so my recommendation is not going to be out for a little while, but it's a book called "Betraying Big Brother," um, and it is about the rise of the feminist movement in China. Um, and gosh, who could? Do that you have? know the author? I just <laughs> happened. I, I just <laughs> happened happen to be married to the author. Uh, just by coincidence. Late <laughs> to Hong Venture, and it, I, I tell you though, it is an amazing book, um, and it gets into how important it is to. The Chinese state to control women and to put them in in their place, and it it just gets into in great detail just the uh, the incredible apparatus that's been set up to yeah. That was you know
0: one of the sort of. The the claims that that uh, Layton made in her last book um, that the sort of leftover women construct was sort of a state sponsored thing it's one that did get a little bit of pushback from some of the critics of the book so it did, uh, it'll be int-
3: this this is very different though yeah this yeah, is I'll a this it, is sure. a narrative book about what happened to the feminist five ah, and it gets okay. into such detail about what happened when they were in jail and what happened after jail and the horrible threats that were put on them and their families that anybody reading it will come away.
0: Well, tell her to send us galleys and we'll put her on the show and talk about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. That's uh, going to be a good one. Yeah, um, I've been recommending a bunch of not not yet published books, so I'm going to go for a um, movie that's a couple years old that I just happened to find on Netflix the other night, flipping around uh the director Kerry Joji Fukunaga who uh, many of you might know it's a, a Netflix movie called Beast of No Nation uh it, it it takes place in an unnamed West African country uh and follows the life of a child soldier who is in a buffer zone town that then gets taken over by uh some sort of crazed megalomaniacal uh commandant and his army of of boy soldiers it, it's oh, i've
1: seen that that yeah. is great
0: it is a very good i mean because so if you know anything about so he did his own cinematography for us and the guy is just fantastic with a camera yeah uh, and so the boy even, actor is just yeah he's just amazing, amazing. Agu, the yeah, guy, plays, yeah yeah he's it's, it's it's a so yeah check it out it's a very good film uh a beast of no nation Alex, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Uh,
2: Before we end, I have a favor to ask the two of you. Next time you see Gore, can you ask him why he blocked me on Twitter? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Why did you
3: block?
2: (laughs) Did you tweet at him? (laughs) I don't think so.
3: I don't know what I did. He unfollowed my wife, too. He unfollowed later. What's going on? Yeah, you're going to ask about that.
1: Well, um, Shkreli... You know, yeah. the uh, the, the horrible, evil nine hundred
2: dollar <laughs> pill man. Exactly, yeah.
1: he he one day just blocked me, and I have no idea why. Ah. I mean, I wrote about him, but not in a sort of, you know, like, like, I think he just decided to block everybody. Your feelings must have been terribly hurt. Oh, terribly terribly. hurt.
0: Well, I promise I won't block you guys if you follow me on Twitter. Uh, The (laughs) Seneca Podcast is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Gula and Jeremy Goldcorn. Thanks also to Anna Chang and Soraya Darabi from SubChina. Drop us an email at Seneca at SubChina.com. Visit our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Seneca Podcast and follow us on Twitter. Again, we will not block you. At Seneca Pot. <laughs> we might block you real <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks, guys. See you. Thank you.